Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Hey, well, uh... I just want to say, before we even get started, I just want us to recognize and realize what's going on this morning. I don't know if you guys have been able to recognize or feel, but the Spirit of God is here and the Spirit of God is moving. And, um, and so just today, as we go on through the service, as we uh, read John 6, there'll be certain questions that are going on. But even more so, what I want you to do is to pay attention to what the Lord might be doing in your heart through this time. We're going to be asking questions, and there might be things that are revealed in you that you just need some prayer for. You need to confess to the Lord and ask Him to forgive you and let His grace just overwhelm you. Um, we're going to have a time during communion where we're going to have some pastors up here to pray. I do believe as well that there's somebody here to that, that is going to put their faith in Jesus for the first time today. And so we're going to have an opportunity up front after our service to, to do that. And so I really do believe that the Spirit of God is here and He is moving. Uh, before we get going, I, you know, Brent, Pastor Brent did such a good job last week, uh, and, and there's no chance I can match it, so I'm going to go ahead and bribe you. Um, I, I, I have a book, and this book, uh, we're going to be talking today about the bread of life, and so this book isn't really about the bread of life, but it's about some of the topics that we're going to be talking about today. So is there anyone here that has a birthday today? Is it anyone's birthday today? Womp womp. I was hoping that was going to be cool. Anyone this weekend that had a birthday? Let's go. All right, front row. Well, I want to give this to you. Uh, it's a book called The Counterfeit Gods um, by one of my favorite authors and pastors, Timothy Keller. It was pivotal and transformational in my life. And so hopefully you'll be blessed by it. So happy birthday. Is it yesterday? The first. All right, good. All right, everybody. Well, um, my name is Pastor John. I'm one of the newer, newer pastors here. You know, what's funny is, uh, you know, I moved here four and a half years ago. My family and I moved here mainly because uh, my wife is an ICU nurse in San Diego. So we were living in Orange County. I was working for a college ministry up there. She was commuting down to San Diego uh, every single, every shift, every week for a couple years. And so we were looking for an opportunity to move to San Diego. As we moved here, found uh, New Vision Church, went there a few times. Pastor Pete, who... Uh, Pastor Pete and Julie are off, uh, and he's on a sabbatical. And basically, a sabbatical is a, uh, it's kind of like a vacation, but it's an opportunity for the leader of this church uh, to basically get away and hear from the Lord, be refreshed in his soul, be refreshed in his body, all these different things. So um, he's going to be gone all summer. Uh, if you guys think about it, man, pray, pray for them as they're, as they're gone, their safety, but just that the Lord would, would meet them uh, in a powerful way. But I got here and, and heard Pastor Pete, and you know, four and a half years ago, reflecting on it, I had no intention of being a pastor. <laughs> no intention. I had no intention for working for a church, let me tell you that. Um, but I came here and then interacted with Pastor Pete, heard his vision for the city, heard his vision for what church is, uh, hung out, been hanging with you guys for the past four and a half years, and you guys have transformed me. And this is the a community that I, I, I want to be a part of, right? I want to invest and I want to be a part of. And so I'll be here. I'm, I do the college young adults. So every Sunday night at five o'clock, we have a service right here uh, that, we, that we have. Um, and then also working with Scott Graff with Urban Impact. So if you haven't heard of Urban Impact, you'll be hearing some more uh, in the next few weeks 
about the uh, City Heights World Cup that's coming up in August. And we got some really fun things happening in the city. Uh, so it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to come speak, talk to you about the Word of God. And um, yeah, we can get rolling. And probably the weirdest introduction to a sermon I think I've ever heard. But have you guys been keeping up with the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial? Right? Is that a really weird transition? <laughs> Last week, Carmelo was speaking of the young adults thing and he brought it up. And I was like, oh, yeah. You know, a few weeks ago, I made the, the mistake of my Instagram reels, clicking a reel. That was like a funny meme of it. And then now that's all I got for weeks. I hate that about social media. And so, um, I don't, so because of that, that's really all I know about the trial is just what Instagram reels says, which just means I know about the funny things. Um, but uh, so I don't really know a lot about it. But what I have noticed, and when you look at things like that, the thing that stands out when I look at something so public with two people so famous is when you look at these two individuals, I cannot help but see and think, man, these guys are so unhappy, right? They're so unhappy, which is crazy when you think about it. Because when you think about Johnny Depp, Amber Heard, you, they literally have everything. They literally have everything. I mean, they have the, the, the looks, the fame, the money, the power, the reputation, the jobs, everyone wants to be Jack Sparrow. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't, they, they might have planes, I don't know. Maybe they have private jets, who knows? Uh, they definitely have cars, they definitely have houses. Uh, but all of that, they have everything that we could ever want in the material world. Everything, still incredibly unhappy. And so have you ever said to yourself, if I only had blank, then I would finally be happy? Have you ever asked that? Of course you have, right? Because I have. We all have. Maybe a new job or, or, or more money or a different house or a child that listened better or in my wife's case, a husband that listened better. Uh, a new car, uh, whatever it is, new sneakers. What is that thing that you think that you need in order to make you happy? The ironic thing is though, that every single time, for me personally, that I finally get what I want or what I finally thought that I needed to feel whole, it somehow just is not enough. Or it might be okay for a little bit, but eventually the niceness goes away. Have you, guys, you guys ever been there? So what happens when we get that new thing? It's cool for the moment, but it's just a thing. And then we start to look around and look for something else. You know, I, I see this with, um, with newlyweds. It's really funny, you know, because you have like the, the typical honeymoon phase, right? The honeymoon is so fun. You have these newlyweds going and there's so many sparks. There's this connection, there's love and there's laughter. And you, you feel like you've actually reached the pinnacle of existence, right? This is the best. And then what happens is that these newlyweds get home and you realize, oh, dang, this person is around all the time. And so you start to think about, dang, I, this isn't exactly what I thought. It could be those new sneakers, the outfit, the car, whatever it was. They're awesome when you wear them for a while, but then they just become something new. I got this minivan. I was so excited about the minivan. I researched it. I did all this thing. We got the minivan. I was rolling in the minivan. This is really cool. All of a sudden, weeks later, I'm thinking, dang, Maybe a truck would be cooler, right? 
And so we chase things. We chase things. We chase girls or guys or drugs or fame, reputation, athleticism, sports, teams, cars, whatever it might be, thinking that they're going to bring lasting happiness and comfort, security and joy. But we actually get them. There is often something empty or dissatisfying about it. And so we look to the next thing. There's this uh, 16th century church reformer, a guy named John Calvin, and he has this quote that sort of haunted me for ever since I heard it. And he said that the human heart is an idol factory. And now what in the world is John Calvin talking about with our heart is an idol factory? And so most of the time when we think about idols, we think about these little carved images from the olden days, right? We think about these fertility gods or these rain and thunder gods or these afterlife gods um, even today, uh, in different cultural or uh, religious backgrounds, there are there are still idols that 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 we you put we put up. I don't know if you're like the salon or the barbershop or the store or a restaurant, and you go around and in the corner of the place you see like a little statue of something with with like a little uh, a beverage or, or food or whatever's there, and it's it's basically this idol, and we 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 pray to it and we ask God that for safety or prosperity or for happiness or blessing. But there are, is a different kind of idol that every single one of us in this room, including, very much including myself, that is competing for our worship. And so uh, in this book right here, in The Counterfeit Gods, this author, Timothy Keller, defines idol in such an interesting way. He says, an idol is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy, your emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. It can be family and children, career, making money, achievement, critical acclaim, saving face and social standing. It can be a romantic relationship, a peer approval, competence and skill, secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty or your brains, or for some of us, all of the above or none of the above, a great political or social cause, your morality and virtue, or even success in the Christian ministry. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I had that, then I'll feel my life as meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. And so basically what Keller is saying is that idols can be anything, even good things. Like, uh, for example, being a Dodger fan, uh, this might be controversial, but being a Dodger fan may not be evil in and of itself. Some of you might think so, but it may, it's not evil. But when the Dodgers lose a pivotal game five in the 2020 World Series and someone spikes their phone into the ground in anger and shatters it and then walks around the house contemplating the essence of life, there might be some idolatry going on. And that is a real life story from me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> there might be something going on. Idolatry takes good things and makes them these ultimate supreme things in our lives. Anything that we put our hope and trust in, anything that we are hoping to bring in life. And so the question I want us to think about this morning as we get into this text is the uh, is what is it, the person, the thing, the job, the relationship, the house, the situation, the substance, whatever it is that you are hoping will bring you ultimate life? What is it that you are hoping will bring you ultimate life? And so we're going to be continuing our series uh, through the book of John this morning. And we're going to be talking about where we can find everlasting 
ultimate, perfect, fulfilling life. So our passage this morning, if you have your Bibles or your mobile devices, it will also be up on the screen, reading out of the ESV version. But turn your Bibles to John 6, verse 22, and we're going to be going through verse 40. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through different sections and then make some comments about the little sections of Scripture. And so just follow along as we go along. So uh, John chapter 6, verse 22 is where we're going to start. He says, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now, as we see at the very, uh, we, we know when this is going on. At the very beginning of verse 22, it says, on the next day. And so this is literally the day after the feeding of the 5,000. We talked about this two weeks ago. And if you guys remember, it, the, the feeding of the 5,000 was one of the more uh, dramatic and crazy miracles that Jesus ever did. So it's only 5,000 men recorded. So people think that there's 20,000 people there, including women and children, and that Jesus literally took five loaves of bread, five little loaves and two little fish, and he fed 20,000 people, right? And they didn't just have a snack. Like it wasn't just snack time or like, it's really frustrating when you're at these uh, hotels and you get these continental breakfasts where it's like the cold stuff, you know what I'm saying? It's not like that. These people were filled to the brim. They literally could not finish the food in front of them because they were so full that they filled 12 baskets full of the leftovers. And think about the last time that you just absolutely feasted. I don't know what kind of holiday or, or, or thing, celebration you and your family or whoever was a part of, but whenever think about that last time. I mean, you were just so full, so happy. You just wanted to take a nap. At that moment, there are no worries in the world. But what happened when you woke up the next day? There's still the grumbling hunger pains. It's back. That was the best moment, the best feast, everything. But all of a sudden, we're back to being hungry. Our stomachs are saying, feed me. And so in our story, the people feasted. But the next day they woke up, they were hungry again. And so what did they do? They searched everywhere for the guy that got them a feast. So isn't this what happens to us when we put our hope and dreams into possessions or uh, things or people or jobs? Like once we get them, it's fun for a minute, but eventually the newness wears off and that dissatisfied feeling starts to creep back. All of a sudden we're looking around for the next thing that would finally make us happy. I think about toys and, with kids. I have three kids, six, four, and 18 months. And it's like every single time you get him this new toy. We were at Knott's Berry Farm yesterday with, uh, with some of the guys here for Carmelo's birthday. Uh, and Micah had a meltdown because he wanted this plastic little popper gun thing. I'm like, sorry, bud. No, because you're going to literally be broken tomorrow and you're never going to look at it again because that's just what kids do. They get something they want so bad. And then tomorrow it's next thing, move into the next thing. I think Micah's up there. Sorry, I didn't get that for you, bud. And so that is so us, right? They wanted more. So let's pick up in verse 25. It says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? 
Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. And so Brent challenged us last week by pointing out that the crowd was only interested in what Jesus could provide them or what he could do for them. They were not interested in who Jesus was. And so Jesus calls the people out immediately. He introduces two really important ideas here. He introduces the temporal, which is the food that perishes, and the eternal, which is the food that endures for eternal life. And there's this famous phrase that you guys might know, but it's this, there are two, only two guaranteed things in this world, death and taxes, right? And so every single, it's, it's the reality that every single one of us in this room has a time where we will pass away. Now we can pray and hope that God would keep us and protect us, but there will be a time. It's 100% guaranteed. And so we really have to think about this idea of what is temporal, which is going to pass, and what is eternal, what is going to last forever. And so what is eternal? There are only three things that I would argue are eternal. God, the eternal God of the universe, has existed for all past eternity and will exist for all future eternity. His word, his word will always last, eternal word. And the last thing is the souls of human beings. Every human being that has ever lived and ever will live, our souls will pass and will live for eternity. The question is with God or separated from God. Now, what is temporal? What is going to pass? Literally everything else. Everything in this world, reputation will pass. You ever think about that in history books or people that make a big name for themselves here and when they pass, who remembers them after generations? Reputation will pass. Friendships will pass. Material possessions will pass. Power, fame, and wealth will pass. The reality is we cannot take what we own into the next life. It stays here. And so Jesus is speaking and rebuking to the people for being so focused on the things that will ultimately perish. They will not last. You can have a feast and be stuffed, but then you still become hungry. However, Jesus introduces a new kind of food that is eternal, that will never perish and will never leave someone hungry. Pick up in verse 28. It says, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. Now in typical fashion, right? As we, if you read the Bible and, and the crowd and the followers, there's, there's always a disconnect in what Jesus is saying and what people hear. In typical fashion, the people totally missed what Jesus was saying, right? So Jesus was speaking about this eternal kind of food that will always satisfy, that always comes from God. And the people said, yeah, but like, how do we actually make this kind of unlimited food? Right? And Jesus responds and he says, you guys, the only thing you need to worry about right now is to believe in me. 
And so this whole sermon series that we're going through for like a year and a half is entitled Believe. John's principal concern is that people would believe in Jesus and in believing in him, they will have everlasting whole life. And so the people wanted to know how to replicate Jesus' miracle to make food because they were hungry. And Jesus' response was, stop, believe in me. And the same goes for you and I, right? It's that whenever we are tempted to look for things to satisfy our souls, whenever we are tempted to look to wealth, sex, power, fame, happiness, purpose, all the things, Jesus says, believe in me. Believe that I will satisfy your deepest longing for love. Believe that I will satisfy and give you lasting hope, comfort, and security. Believe that I am sufficient for all of your deepest longings, desires, and needs. Verse 30, he says, So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread for, from heaven to eat. And so the people basically respond to Jesus by saying, prove it. <laughs> you ask us to believe in you, prove it. And they cite this thing that happened in Exodus 16. One of the, another crazy, crazy, crazy miracle in the Bible. So you have uh, basically, you have the Israelites that, that had just been saved from Egypt. They just had this Passover, this dramatic rescue that God had, that he split the Red Sea so they could walk across. And these people have been rescued out of slavery. And it's not very long, I think months, <laughs> before they're out there in the desert and they're kind of wandering around and the people are complaining. They're mad. They're saying, man, we were slaves back there, but at least we got to eat, you know, and saying all this stuff. We want to go back. We want to go back. And so Moses comes to God and is like, hey, man, these... God, these people are driving me crazy. And so what God does is something wild. It says, he sends what is later called manna, which is like, it was kind of like this flaky substance that would appear on the ground every morning. And, I, and for, I don't know if you guys are health nuts or, or fitness gurus or anything like that, but basically this flaky substance was the ultimate superfood. Like it literally had every vitamin, nutrient, mineral, carbohydrate, protein, fat, good fats, you know, not the cheese it's kind, but the human being needed to survive. Everything that the human being needed to survive was in this flaky substance called manna. A miracle from heaven, 40 days, every single day, the people had food and they did not want, and all of their physical needs were provided for in a miraculous way from this unknown substance that has never since appeared called manna. Every single day. So the people are like, thanks for the one meal, Jesus, but Moses fed us for 40 years. So what are you going to do? So verse 32, Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it was my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So what does Jesus say here? He says, wait a second. Moses did not do that. That was not him. God did that. God rescued you from Egypt. 
God provided for all your physical needs. God gave you the land of Israel. God is the one who fought your battles. Moses did not do that. And Jesus said, in fact, God has actually sent a person from heaven that will give life to the whole world. Someone that will satisfy all of your deepest longings for love, comfort, safety, intimacy, all the things. And verse 34, this is so funny. The people then said, they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. I love this. I mean, because honestly, if someone came to you and said, hey, I can give you the secret to the meaning and purpose in life of ultimate fulfillment. I can give you access to selfless, eternal kind of love. I can introduce you to the one that created you and loves you more than anything. And that will give you peace in the midst of turmoil. I can introduce you to someone who can give you joy in the midst of hard circumstances. Would you want that? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So that's what the people are like. It's like, uh, give us this bread always. Sign me up. And verse 35 is kind of the heart of the passage, the focal point of this whole section. Verse 35, Jesus then said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And Jesus said, I am this eternal kind of bread that comes from heaven. He talks about this idea that whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. To hunger and thirst are two of the most common and integral fundamental needs that the body has universally. Every single human that's ever existed. Like we literally are required to eat and we are required to drink water in order to live. You cannot separate food and water from life. Integral, right? And so what Jesus is saying by claiming that he is the bread of life is that it is impossible, impossible to experience true divine joy true divine peace, true divine love apart from him. To be loved and to love is as fundamental of an emotional need as the physical need for food and water. And we cannot experience that without Jesus. And so back to our conversation about idols from earlier, right? What is it that you are holding onto with that death grip, believing that you will find life, love, validation, purpose, meaning? What is that thing that you're looking to? What is it that you functionally believe is the key to happiness and life? And I want, whatever it is, I want to communicate in the clearest way possible in love that whatever it is, except for Jesus, whatever it is, it will never satisfy the cravings, the needs, the longings in your soul. You will always be searching. You will always go from one thing to the next. Jesus is life. And Jesus is, <laughs> Jesus is the only person that can deliver. Only with Jesus will you experience divine love, joy, peace, comfort, and safety. 
No matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, good or bad, there's an eternal life that comes in a relationship with Jesus. Come on, come on. Uh, if you are like the crowd, which I've been there, and you just, you kind of want to say prove it. I'll believe it when I see it. I just challenge you to do three things. The first one is pray. I just ask you to, cons- to ask God to, to reveal himself to you. The second thing is to read his word. John is a great place to start, the book of John. And the third thing is consider the testimonies of people in this room. Ask people, what was life like before you met Jesus? And how was your life different after? Did your circumstances change? Maybe, probably not. But did your heart change? <laughs> we love you, Miss Julie. All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to close uh, our, ser- our service today uh, with communion. But as the worship team comes up, and then I want to ask Neil just to kind of play some music. What we're going to do a little bit this morning is, like I was saying earlier in the worship time, and just even as we came here, I, I just really believe that the Spirit of God is moving and He's working. And so even... Even as uh, we were talking and thinking about the thing that it is that we're searching for to bring us life that is not, it's not bringing it. The thing going from thing to thing to thing to thing that's not there. What is that? Whatever the Lord put on your heart and it was like, dang, it's that thing or those things. I, I, it's, it's not doing what I want it to do. Whatever it is, um, what we're going to do is... Uh, I have some pastors, pastors and ministry leaders, if you guys want to come up um, to the front. And during this time, I'm going to be talking about some things, but if you guys want, if you just want to spend some time confessing to the Lord um, or talking with a, a pastor or ministry leader and just say, hey, I'm wrestling with this thing and I just want to be delivered from this thing, then c- come talk and we want to pray with you. If you are here and you're thinking, man, my whole life, I've been running from thing to thing to thing, looking for, for hope, joy, love, and you haven't found it, and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, today is the day. God is asking you, trust me, believe in me. I will only bring eternal life. I'm the only one to bring eternal life. And so during this time, we're going to be doing communion uh, kind of on our own. Uh, the last part of this passage, verse 36, says this. It says, But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. As we sit here and take this time of communion, as we sit and reflect, I want us to think through the three promises that that Jesus gives us in the end of this passage. He says that those the Father has been given, He will never reject. No matter who you are, no matter what you have done, God is waiting with open arms saying, come to me. I died for you, no matter what you've done. I've taken upon myself. I want to change your heart. 
The second promise is whoever believes in God will never be lost. If we have genuinely become a Christian by admitting that we are sinners and we need saving, that we believe that Jesus is God, that he died for us and he's raised us up on the third day, that there's nothing that we can ever do that will ever disqualify us from his presence. And the third promise is that everyone who believes in God will have eternal life. That by believing in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you will not only experience life now, but you will also spend eternity with God forever. And so for communion today, what I want us to do is to sit there and identify what is it that you are running to, hoping for, that will bring life that is not Christ. I want us to think about it, identify it, confess it to the Lord, and ask him to bring upon his loving grace upon us, and then take the elements. Jesus said he was the bread of life. And what we believe in this element is that the bread of life that he died, his flesh was pierced for us so that we might have life through his death and resurrection. When you're ready, and there's the cup of the juice. And this juice signifies Jesus' blood that was poured out on behalf of us, that Jesus came to usher in a new covenant where we don't have to live by rules and laws and have that be the judge, but only by Jesus' life and death and resurrection can we have life in his name. So as we take communion, we are declaring his life, his death, and his resurrection. Let's do this together. questions about what it looks like to be involved with the church, if you have questions as far as what it looks like to grow in deeper relationship with God, whether or not you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time today and experience that everlasting, eternal, whole life, just ask that you continue to come up, continue to feel the freedom to do this as I pray and as we transition into to worship. God, we just thank you for your presence. And God, thank you that you didn't leave us to try to figure out this life on our own, but that you not only gave us your word, but you actually came to earth as a human, suffered and was tempted by everything that we suffer and are tempted by, and yet you lived a perfect life. That you died on behalf of us, no matter what we've done, no matter what we do, no matter what we will do, by putting our faith in you, you have died on the cross for those things. And that you've raised victorious, proving that you were God on the third day, raised to new life, that you are alive right now. You are here, alive. And that those of us who call upon your name and proclaim that we are Christians, that you live inside of us. Thank you for that. 
So Lord, I just pray that for this whole church, everyone in here, myself included, Lord, please reveal, continue to reveal those things that we are running to, to find life that will never, ever, ever satisfy. But please help us, what does it look like for each of us to run to you, Jesus, as the source of life, the bread of life? God, we just praise you and we thank you that there's that you are the God of grace and love and truth and mercy. And we just pray for your work for the rest of this service week and today. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you.